Malachi, and it's uh, chapter 2, beginning verse 79, 6-1 of the church, 5. The day of judgment. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask, by saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, you say, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, and then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soul. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So, I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and purgers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, who deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. David Cook tells the story. Uh, David Cook was the chaplain to medical students in Oxford. Some of you will have known him. He tells the story about a student who writes home to his parents. And this is what he writes. Dear Mum and Dad, I know you haven't heard from me in recent months, but the fact is this. A few weeks back, there was a fire in the flat, and I lost all my possessions. In fact, I only escaped with my life by jumping from the second floor window. And in the process of doing, I broke my leg and I finished up in hospital. Fortunately for me, I met the most wonderful nurse. We immediately fell in love. And, well, to cut a long story short, last Saturday we got married. Now, many of our friends say that this was over hasty, but I am convinced of this that our love for each other will more than compensate for the difference between our social backgrounds and our ethnic origins. By this time, Mum and Dad, you may be a, a little worried. So let me tell you straight away that everything that I have written in this letter is false. I made it up. The truth is, last week, I was told that I failed my exams. 
and I just want you to have a sense of perspective. <laughs> there you are. Perspective. How do you? Maybe we would uh, worry much less and complain less if we did have a sense of perspective. In many situations, it isn't the end of the world the way that we tend to think. And what the prophet is trying to do here with this people who have, are part of the restoration, coming back to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild the temple, to establish themselves again as a people and a nation and so forth, is to give them a sense of perspective, to see beyond their experience thus far and try to see things in a different light. So, with that introduction, the series in the book of, of Malachi has been raising um, issues, difficult issues, painful issues, disturbing issues, like uh, disillusionment. The people of God came back, they were fired up, and then there was a sense of disillusionment. What's it all about? And that followed on to people developing a sort of a shallowness, a superficial view of the God who has redeemed them. And it's reflected in their worship. And then in their lifestyle, where marriage was eroded, that the divorce was easy, and men were abusive towards their wives. And into those situations, God brings a word, a brazive word, a challenge to get people to think. And it was very disturbing. And where we ended last time in this, uh, in this book of Malachi was in verse 16, where, and it's repeated on two occasions, what's the application for everybody, whether married or single, young or old, disillusioned, whatever the circumstances in life we are, this is the big thing. Guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. And that's a word in season for everybody. So Malachi is the type of prophet who likes to probe, likes to ask questions. Yes, he wants to be provocative, but not for the sake of it, to get a response, to dialogue, to debate. You have it, for instance, in just to give you a flavor of this, uh, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. He starts here, and the basis of, of all relationships, human relationships, the home, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm your father, where is the honor due to me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord God Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. Judgment beginning at the house of God first among the leaders. And then, irony is harnessed. Verse 7, you place defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contempt contemptible when you bring blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? And there's the irony. Try offering that to your governor. Give it to your boss. Invite him round for a meal and put scabby meat in front of him. Say, it's okay. It won't help your career. Would he be pleased with you? 
Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? See what he's doing. Here are animals that are not fit for the knacker's yard, but they're fit enough for God. You see what he's doing? He's probing, disturbing. And you, you have it in chapter 2 and verse 13 in a, in a different way. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with your tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to you, to your offering and accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. So again, in these most um, sacred and, and, and special relationships, they had lost faith. They'd moved from their moorings. And now you couldn't tell right from wrong. That's the context there. And our conclusion last time was quite comprehensive and uh, it comes to you like this. We are to be faithful in our marriage if we are married. We are to be loving but not to be indifferent. Don't be indifferent. So easy to be in the privacy of our home. And in our family relationships, faithful in your home, be forgiven. How many homes do we know that are shot through with resentment? People who refuse to forgive and carry bitterness to the grave. Now, how relevant is that? And then faithful in your work, where often many of us work in a culture of cynicism. Well, don't you be cynical. Be gracious. Let people even, even take advantage of you. They did of Jesus and we are to follow him. And be faithful in your worship. Be sincere. Don't be hypocritical. We of all people, we should face that. You know, you remember that lovely story of Spurgeon when if you've seen the Metropolitan Tabernacle opposite the Elephant and Castle underground, you'll see this big church with these gates that were there. I'm not sure if they're there now. And there was a man outside. It was Spurgeon's custom on Sunday evening to go early. And he sees this man. He said, he's always been challenging his congregation, invite people to church. So he did. He said, would you like to come in this evening? The man says, no, there's too many hypocrites there. And he said, there's room for another one. That's the point, isn't it? We of all people should be able to face that. We should. So the people of Malachi's day had become cynical. They'd become a, a sort of a contradiction, if you like, believing unbelievers. And a, a, a sort of a culture of unbelief had begun to develop among them. And it's in the context of the rebuilding of the temple. If you turn back about three pages, you come to, or four, you come to the book of Haggai, he was one of these, what we call minor prophets, like Malachi. And look at this. I mean, these prophets were not polished preachers. They were abrasive prophets. And in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 2, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time is not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Really? It's not time for the Lord's house to be built? Is it time for you yourselves to live in your panelled houses while the house remains a ruin? You see what he's doing? Using irony again. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. 
And this is the lifestyle. Just think about this and apply it to yourself or to our society. You've planted much, you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. The meaning is not comforted. Not comfortable in your own skin. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. The, the ravages of inflation and so on. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your way. Think about your life. So in coming back to Malachi now then, a sort of pessimism had begun to develop. A, 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 a disillusionment with church and with life and with marriage and with everything. Diminished expectations began to attack their faith and eat away like a virus. And so, where we begin this morning, chapter 2 and verse 17. It's incredible, isn't it? You have wearied me with your words. Is religion all about words? How people like to use words to win arguments and lose the point. The question then is posed in verse 17, which is quite disturbing. That here are people are not only questioning the character of God, his very nature. See in verse 17, you've wearied me with words. How are we done? By saying that evil is good. What a contradiction of a good God. And anyway, where is the God of justice? What's right or wrong? It's, it's really a subjective thing. What's right for me is... is Maybe wrong for you, but just live and let live. So it's a questioning the character of God and almost the existence of God. And into that there are two dimensions we can look at very quickly. The first is there is the danger of insincerity. Or just, if you like, religiously keeping up appearances. Words. The danger of insincerity, and we of all people must face this, especially in church. I mean, we're here, we're worshipping, we're listening to a sermon, we're praying, but we're going to go back out into a world. What is it going to be like? What will we be like? Now, we're not the best judge if there's any tangible difference between us and our colleagues or whatever, or our neighbours. But there's always the danger of insincerity, especially in church. Woe to the people who belong to a church where it only confirms your prejudices. What sort of a church is that? That's what Malachi is saying. And secondly, there's a tendency of inconsistency. Especially when we leave church. Now in response, the Lord speaks in chapter 3 and verse 1. And he says, See... I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord will come to his temple. And we'll take up that theme in a moment when we shall sing the hymn, Love Divine. You, have you often thought in that, that hymn, what does it mean? Come almighty to deliver. Let us all your grace receive. Suddenly return and never, never more your temples leave. It's the coming of the Lord. His coming. As Wesley illustrates it in that hymn. And now in chapter 3, verse 1, using for the sixth time this, the occurrence of this word covenant. They trivialized it. God took it seriously. The covenant. And it, it introduces the theme now as there will be a silence of 400 years before the announcement 
For to us a child is born, a son is given, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in the birth of Jesus. The covenant, the messianic promise of hope and the restoration of relationship between God and his people. And this is the point, that in the Old Testament covenants, those ancient promises now find their true fulfillment in the new covenant, in the coming of the Messiah, to prepare the way, John the Baptist, for who? The Sovereign Lord, to give his life a ransom for many. And we shall be celebrating that here. Finds its fulfillment. This cup, Jesus said, is the new covenant in my blood. Looking back, but surely looking forward. Surely looking forward. Well, that's good, isn't it? But this is the big question. And it's this. That the saving, sovereign Lord is surely coming. There is no question about that. He is coming. What's the question? This is the question. When he comes, who can endure? Who can endure? Who can stand? Who really? Would we want to give our credentials to him and say what we've done? Even then some of us be in trouble. Who can endure? Who can stand? And the prophet uses searching illustrations now to get us to think this through for ourselves. The prophet actually suggests that no one can. I can't, he says. Nor can you. No one. And yet, the purpose of this refiner, look in verse 3. Who can endure, who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner, purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men and people who will bring right offerings in righteousness and so on. The process first, then the outcome. The refiner is not the destroyer. He's coming for judgment, yes, but not to destroy, but to purify. And this idea of soap, literal meaning is alkali, which is to, is to cleanse and, and whiten cloth, that it gets into the very fiber and fabric. Many of the hymn writers, you know, make a reflection on the character of God and perhaps familiarity with them makes us lose its impact. Think of the 18th century uh, Thomas Binney who wrote, Eternal light, eternal light. How, how pure the soul must be. When placed within your searching sight, it shrinks not but with calm delight can live and look on thee. But how can I whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before the ineffable appear, on my naked spirit bear, this uncreated being. How can I? And he poses the question. Here is a, a, a perfect, holy God. Here are imperfect, sinful people. Great chasm. There is a way, there is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode. Really, what? An offering, a sacrifice, the Holy Spirit's energies. I have an advocate with God. And in comes the Lord Jesus. And his refining is not to destroy, but to purify, to cleanse and renew. And the picture of this refiner is given by the prophet 
of restoration, to restore and to renew, not to judge. And so for us, how do you apply it? Well, here you are, in the crucible of your own personal or private suffering of all kinds. The dross is removed, which would not be removed apart from the suffering. And so you ask, is this God's will? Well, often it is. Our problem is that we don't like it. And yet, he is the refiner to remove the, the dross from the metal to produce gold and silver. There is a progression, just very quickly. Look in verse 3, and, and you could almost miss it if you didn't look very carefully. Chapter 3 and verse 3, look at the progression. This is so important. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He will be like a refiner's fire, a launderer's soap. Here it is, verse 3. He will sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them as gold and silver. What's that? Well, of course, you know the Levitical priesthood. And it's always the way, isn't it? The judgment begins with the people who are most responsible, to whom much is given, much is required. The Levites, who are to lead the people in worship and prayer, had lost their way. And then you see, secondly, the people. See, then the Lord will have men or people who will bring offerings in righteousness. That the leadership in place, God refining, working within the church, and then among the people. And then finally, as it moves on to verse 4, you will see, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord in a way that before it wasn't, as in the days, as in former years. Now you see what's happening. This refining process, coming to the, the priests and the Levites, who are responsible to lead and pray, and then the people, and then the community. So much of the church is disengaged with the community. Now here's the thing, just very quickly. For some... This, for sure, is judgment and rejection, like the dross that is taken off in the, in the intense heat that purifies the metal, and it's cast aside. It has no secondary value for some. But for others, the purifying and refining produces something glorious and wonderful. The same refining to the one transformation to the other rejection. And we must make that connection ourselves. We must do that. So let's conclude with verse 5. Just a quick comment on this. And it's quite, uh, it's quite a challenge, I hope you think it is. Because, um, well, it's this. From verse 5, that spiritual refining, that process, the New Testament perhaps calls sanctifying, cleansing of a believer, that spiritual refining is linked to social responsibility. Or put it another way. 
And we've got to face this. And I hope that perhaps you feel a bit uncomfortable about this because you say, I'm not socially engaged at all. I'm busy. I've got my own troubles to worry about. Well, that would miss the point here of injustice. Has God got favorites? I think so. A fresh encounter with God will produce faithful engagement with people and often people in need. So this is a word for church and community, for worship and work, for marriage and family. Do you see what it is? That the whole fibre of our faith is impacted by the grace of God. So, this fearful advent it combines justice and judgment it combines refining like gold and removing the impurities the day of the Lord it'll come the day of the Lord will come he is the coming Lord He's the sovereign. And us here today is, will we can face the question, can I endure? Can I stand? And if I do, why do I say that? If I have taken refuge in to the Lord Jesus and asked him to forgive me and renew me and purge my sin and cleanse me, I can stand. But of myself, I cannot. And yet there is more here. Malachi was concerned to speak in the plainest language that nobody could confuse. And so he selects in his day, and see how they resonate with us perhaps, the sorcerers who played on the superstitions and weaknesses of other people. The adulterers whose licentious lifestyle had almost a mockery on people who were faithful. Are you serious that you're holding to the covenant? It's only a piece of paper. Really? You see the implication? The oppressors who exploit the weak and the underprivileged for their own advantage. And sadly, Christian people are often not in that arena where the prophet would want to catapult us. People who corrupted whatever they touched and extinguished the torch of justice towards those who were oppressed who longed for the day of freedom. People false in their values and lifestyle that now you couldn't tell the difference between right and wrong. It's not just a personal thing, is it? It's a communal thing. And we are the people of God. Who can stand? Who can stand the day of His coming? Who can endure this refiner like a mighty volcano? We can if we stand on redemption ground which has been purged through the cross of Jesus. And so we sing, Come, 
Almighty to deliver. Let us all your grace receive suddenly. Do you see it? He, he borrows that phrase from uh, chapter 3 verse 1. Suddenly come to your temple. The coming of the Lord. He comes to us in his word. And he comes to us in this covenant of bread and wine.